0: Welcome to the Fielder Church Podcast. Our church inhales and exhales the gospel every Sunday and is excited to bring our messages to you here. Thank you for joining us, and we hope God moves in your life as you listen into this feed. Have, have you ever had one of those moments when you experienced something and you knew the moment you were expen- experiencing it, it was something that you would remember for the rest of your life? I mean, It didn't matter if you lived a million years, you would never forget that moment. Have you ever had one of those before? I had one of those moments a few years ago, literally on the other side of the planet. I was a little bit outside of the city of Calcutta, India. I had gone there with an organization called Mission India to experience their work that they did with adult literacy classes and children's Bible clubs and church planning and getting to see it with my own eyes since we were supporting it as a church. And it was a moment I'll never forget because I saw something that both delighted my heart and broke my heart at the exact same time. So we were visiting Calcutta, like I mentioned, and if you don't know where that's at, in Calcutta, India, it's the place where Mother Teresa did the majority of her work. And the day before, we were visiting her work, seeing some of the things that had happened there, and, and then the next day, we were told we were going to go out to visit a village to see an adult literacy class. And so we woke up that next day, and, and in my mind, it's like a 20-minute you know, bus ride out to this little village, and I had no clue it was going to be a three-hour bus ride into the heart of the jungle. I mean, it was crazy. I had never seen a bus go off-road the way this thing did. We started on the highway, and then it went to some cement roads, and then it went to some dirt roads, and then it went to, like, no roads. We are, we are plowing through the jungle like he's driving over banana trees and shrubs, and there is no road, and I know we're lost. I am certain some apes about to jump up there and kill us all, and even if he doesn't kill us, we are going to be lost savages in the jungle. We're never going to make it home because there's no way this dude knew where he was going. And then out of nowhere, craziest thing, after three hours of driving in jungle, this opening just pops out of nowhere. And it was as if we had entered into some kind of time warp into a new dimension that was like 400 years ago because it was so not technologically advanced. There was this opening and there was a waterhole. And on the other side of the waterhole, you could see a little village, very primitive. Had been about a thousand people living there and it was all like mud and, and, and all straw thatched roofs and things like that. There was no electricity, no water, no roads, no nothing. And this is the village we had gone to see. So we parked the bus and then we walked past the watering hole and, and got to, to the center of this little tiny village. And it had one cement building. All the rest was mud and thatched. But there was one cement building in the middle, which I later discovered was it was the schoolhouse, it was the courthouse, it was the civic center. I mean, it was, everything happened in this one building. Well, this particular day, there was an adult literacy class going on, and we were going there to see this for ourselves. And there were some 200 people shoved into this tiny place in order to learn how to read. And we could hear the teacher's voice as she was teaching the class about basics. I didn't understand what she was saying, but basics of, of writing and, and the way language works. And, and we could hear it because it was open air. Like I said, there was no electricity, so you could, there were windows that were open and a door that was open. And we walk up. And as we're walking up, the teacher sees us and just stops teaching. And the whole class, like, turns super slow to see who we are. You know, they, they had never, ever seen Westerners before, the vast majority of them. In fact, the majority of the people in that room had never seen anybody outside of their tiny village before. And here come a, a team of about 12 Westerners walking up to see this class. And they went bonkers, man. They had never seen people like us before. And so they're walking all up, touching our clothes, interacting with us. And they were so kind. They were the most gentle people you'd ever imagine. In fact, right when they realized that we were guests coming in there, they sat us one by one, and they put a little red dot right on our forehead, which was a sign in India of welcoming us into their community. And, and we were going to try to engage with them, and, and we had a few people who were going to say a few words of thanks to them for letting us be there. But before we could really get into it, they scattered. Like I'm talking like when you throw the lights on, and the cucarachas go everywhere. That's exactly what happened. They just poof, They just ran off. And to be honest with you, at first we were like, did we offend them? Did we do something wrong here? What happened? But they all left, and, and we thought, okay, well, apparently this time's over. I guess we're going back home. So we were walking back out to make our journey. It was about a half-mile journey back to the bus. And as we left that cement building, we noticed that there were people by the hundreds running back to us. It was all these people who had left and they went and they grabbed their families and they grabbed musical instruments and they changed their clothes in these super bright colored clothes and they had flowers and stuff. And they came back and they literally threw us a makeshift parade. As we're walking a half mile walk from the schoolhouse back to the bus, they're singing and dancing and twirling around and playing their instruments. And it's like Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade that they're doing for us on the spot as we're walking back to their bus just because we paid them a visit. I want you know, I had never been treated like that in my life. I, I felt so overwhelmed by their love and affection. They were so kind. They were so gentle and loving. And immediately our hearts locked with theirs. I mean, they made us feel like royalty. And after that half mile walk, I mean, we were weeping and embracing them. It was like God had made us love one another so quickly. But it was about to start getting dark and we knew what kind of drive we had left. And so we had to say our goodbyes and we got back on the bus and we started to head back to Calcutta. And when we were on the bus, my heart just beaming for these people, I asked the guides to tell me, I, I know part of the literacy classes in order to plant churches there, how many, how many believers are there in this little village? And his answer broke my heart. Zero. Not a single believer yet in that tiny village. And then I later discovered that there were a lot of little villages like this all over that jungle area, and there were hardly any believers in any of them. And it was like all of a sudden the reality of the lostness of the world came crashing down because it wasn't just statistics anymore. I mean, I've heard the statistics. There are numbers that talk about people groups in the world, and they say over 42% of all the people groups in the world right now would be considered unreached, which means they have very little access to the gospel. And and I know that equates to some 3.25 billion people in our planet who will likely be born, live, and die without ever clearly hearing the message of the gospel. But those are just like crazy big numbers, you know? I mean, you don't think about those until it comes down to this tiny village of people that you fall in love with and you hear their story and you want them to be saved and you know they have no access to the gospel yet. They don't believe. And I know what God's word says. God's word says, as good and kind and gentle as they are, everyone, every human being has fallen short of the glory of God. They've sinned. And I know the Bible also says that the wages of sin, the penalty of that sin is spiritual death and separation from God for all eternity. And it just, it came down like a, a million pounds of bricks upon my heart. Like these people are going to die without knowing the good news of the gospel and they're going to suffer because they're rebellion against God and they don't have hope. And man, it cut me deep. I was so delighted by these people. My heart was broken by their condition when I left. And, and I got to be honest with you. I was a little bit angry with God. Like, God, how could you let these good people suffer eternal condemnation if you're a good God? Have you ever asked that question before? Has that thought ever crossed your mind? Like, how could God be good and let people suffer good people? Listen, there's a whole other sermon about about God's divine justice and why he needs to punish sins, and it's a great sermon that one day I, I need to share with you. Let me tell you the other side of that coin. It's not just that God needs to punish sin because he's holy. But the truth is, if you read God's word, he doesn't want any to suffer eternal consequences. He wants all to come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. In fact, if you look at the Bible, what you discover is that God's rescue plan is such that there will be people from every single nation, from every single language and every single village and tribe represented in heaven. Right before I started, you heard a video of languages celebrating that, but I want to go back to that particular passage of Scripture and read it again for you so you understand God's rescue plan in his heart. Revelation chapter 7, beginning in verse 9. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, amen, blessings and glory and wisdom and thanksgivings and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. It's describing the scene in heaven where everybody comes to worship the true Lamb of God to celebrate who is in majesty. And it says that in that room, there will be people from every nation, from every tribe, from every people and language. That means every person who's ever lived, there's some representation in heaven of their tribe and of their people, even that little bitty village three hours outside of Calcutta, India. Let me tell you what this means. It means God is pursuing people all over the world. And the crazy message of this book is that God pursues them through people like you and like me. The question is, are we willing to join them? I mean, he's going to seek them with us or without us. And he's inviting us to be a part of him reaching out to all the peoples of the earth. The question is, will we say yes? Listen, I know when you think about a people group on the other side of the planet, three hours out of Calcutta, the last thing in your mind is that you would be someone God would send to that people group. Because in your mind, I mean, that's, that's just what you, like super Christians do that kind of thing. Like the super holy people, that those are the ones who go, but I'm, I'm just an ordinary Christian, Jason. I, I, I'm not going to do something like that. And you don't feel worthy to the task. I I get it, man. Most of us don't even feel worthy to take the gospel to the end of our block, much less the ends of the earth. And truth is, we're not worthy on our own, but the gospel of Jesus makes us worthy. And our own brokenness actually leads to more reason why God would use us. Because God has a history of taking the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, to taking the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Our brokenness and inadequacy actually shows God's power when he uses us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And make no mistake about it, this book tells us that whenever we have come to a knowledge of the gospel of Jesus, we are supposed to be bearers, messengers of that gospel message to other people who need to hear it. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to finish, finish the rest of our time together in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want you to find verse 17. Now I want you to hear what it says about the person who's been transformed by the gospel. Listen to what it says. 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of Reconciliation. He says, if you've come to believe in the good news of the gospel, your sins have been taken away, your trespasses have been dealt with, you've been made into a new creation, and you have been given this message of reconciliation to take to others who need to hear it. He says it even more explicitly in verses 20 and 21. Keep on reading. Listen to what it says next. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now that, that last verse, I share this in every Covenant membership class, that is my favorite verse in the entire Bible, because that one verse, verse 21, encapsulates the entire gospel in one sentence. And it says, so for our sake the Father made his own son Jesus to be sin, even though Jesus knew no sin, had committed no sin, so that in Christ, you and I could become the very righteousness of God. That's a message that should make our minds go, I mean, just radical truth. This incredible thought that I think so often, especially if you're part of filler and you hear the gospel every single week, could slip right past you, but don't let it slip past you. Think about the implications of that. That, that the Father would take your sins, and my sins, the most heinous things we have ever committed, and not just you and I, all the sins of all human beings over the history of humanity, and he would vomit them up on the sinless shoulders of his own son. Why? So that a bunch of screwballs like you and I could be saved from our sins. That is the act of supreme love. And when you understand that message, it changes you. My fear is there are too many of us who just don't stop and think about the magnitude of that. I think there are times in our lives when God gives us glimpses of his heart. In fact, I would venture to say that parenting, for me personally, and probably for you if you're a parent, is one of the places he most teaches us about his own heart. And God gave me a glimpse of how his heart breaks for us through what happened with one of my children. I've shared this story with you before if you've been at Fielder, but it's something that happened to my daughter, Lulu, a number of years ago. She was one at the time, and she had gotten into some a medicine bag that had... Uh, accidentally been placed too close to her. And it was, it was like these medicines that were in this bag were poison to her. And it was like heart medicine, cholesterol meds, and a bunch of other pills that, were, that would kill her. And she had uh, gotten into them and was putting them in her mouth. And, and uh, I, at the time, she was in Louisville, Kentucky, visiting family, and I was here in Arlington. And I got a frantic call from my wife telling me what had happened. And she told me that her lips are turning purple. They've called the ambulance, but I needed to pray. And when we hung up on the phone, I remember as clearly as any moment in my life, I collapsed to the ground because my my legs wouldn't even support me. I felt like my heart had stopped. I, I felt like I couldn't breathe. I couldn't speak. I was overwhelmed at the thought of my daughter and the poison that was coursing through her veins. And when I finally was able to pray, it was the most guttural prayer of my life. And all I could do was just say, oh, God, please, no, don't take my daughter. And I remember what I said. I said, God, please take me instead. Let me take the poison. Let me die. Let her live. Please, God. And in that moment, I felt as deep a pain as I've ever felt in my life. Now, by God's remarkable grace, in a truly miraculous way, God saved her. And and it it was wild. I mean, she went to the hospital and 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 she was there monitored. In fact, this is a picture of her that you can see right there on your screen. There she is, my little cutie pie, one-year-old, sitting there in in a crib in the hospital, all wired up and stuff. And and they monitored her, and miraculously, over the course of the night, they were gonna pump her stomach, and they realized they didn't even have to pump her stomach. And by the next morning, she left with a clean bill of health. God had saved her miraculously. And that's a story for another day, I hope to tell you. But, But what I learned from that moment is what it feels like for your heart to break over a child of yours when you know they've got poison in them and they're dying. And and I think this is exactly how the Father feels for us. Because we, his children, have consumed a poison called sin. We've taken in pill after pill of sin as we've committed it of our own doing and it's coursing through our veins and it's killing us and he knows it. And I think his heart breaks over it. And it's not just you and I. I think he looks at the totality of his creation and he sees that there's somebody right now shooting up because they think that's the only way they're going to be able to survive in this life. And I think his heart breaks. He sees somebody right now who's destroying every single relationship they have because they're living selfishly and they're harming everybody and they're take, take, take and no one wants to be around them and they're lonely and they're afraid and they can't see why and it's the sin and the poison inside of them that's devouring them. And his heart breaks. I think right now he's looking at a man who lives in a tiny village three hours outside of Calcutta who's believing in false gods and has no hope. And I think the father's heart is breaking for him. And I think right now God is looking at his children in that poison. And like my heart felt, it is aching him deeply. But let me tell you the difference between God and me. When I couldn't do a thing, God could do everything. So, yeah, I prayed that prayer when I collapsed on my knees saying, oh, God, please let me die in her place. Please let the poison be in me and not her. But I don't have the power to make that exchange. I couldn't do anything about it. But what I couldn't do, God has done. Because God saw us with the the poison of sin coursing through our veins, and he said, no, I'm going to take that upon me. And he took on flesh, and he took our sin, our poison in his own veins, and he died so that you and I could live. I mean, that's the message of the gospel. He's trying to get us to see that our father would love us so much that he would let his own son take upon the poison in him so that you and I could live. And that's the message that if we would just stop and think about, it would totally change how we live our lives. I, I I wanna pause right here because I know, I know there are some of you watching this right now. And you have never let that truth overwhelm you the way it should. And you've never come to respond the way you should to the Father's mercy and grace. So the Word of God tells us there is no one good. There was no one who does righteously all the time, lives righteously. There's no one perfect. We've all sinned, which means that right now, coursing through your veins, there's a poison called sin that will devour you, that is trying to devour you. And if you'd be honest with yourself, you can see it devouring you. But the message of the gospel is that God took on flesh so that he could take that poison in himself so that you could be freed from it. And the beautiful message of the gospel is it doesn't matter how many pills of sin poison you've taken in, how unhealthy and how broken you may be, how far gone you may be, how unlovable you may think you are. The Father says, I want you. I'm seeking you. I want to be reconciled with you. I want to heal you. And it says all you have to do is submit to him and to recognize yes you've taken in the poison of sin of your own doing and you repent of that you you throw that at Jesus at the feet of Jesus by faith and you let him take over your life and you call upon the name of the Lord and the Word of God says you will be saved you will be healed you will be reconciled to the Father before I say anything else before we move on to any other discussion I think if that's you today You need to say, I'm ready, God. I'm ready to trust in you. I'm ready to place my faith in you. I'm ready to follow Jesus Christ. Listen, we wanna connect with you if you're ready to make that decision because I believe there's something you need to do. You need to express it publicly through baptism. We have a baptism celebration coming up in just a few weeks, December 13th. And maybe today's the day you let us know so that we can get you prepared for that baptism celebration where you can declare that you're, you're by faith, trusting in Christ to take out that poison of sin and put it upon Jesus, and to give you new life, where you're saying, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you for the rest of my days. If you're ready to take that step, or if you have questions about that step, we wanna connect with you and reach out to you. Here's how you can do that. You can get your phone out, and you can go to www.fueler.org slash next step. Or, if you'd rather, you can get your phone out, and you can text the word next step to 94253, just like you see it right there on your screen, and you can fill out a brief form. It'll give you a link to the same website, and in that form, you just let us know what God's doing in your heart. If you're ready to be baptized, if you're ready to place your faith in Christ, if you want to talk to a pastor, I promise you won't take any more in just two or three minutes and we'll connect with you and within 24 hours, a pastor will reach out to you to pray with you and counsel with you and get you ready for that next step. So please, before we do anything else today, take action on that. Find healing for yourself today. But I also know there are a lot of you watching this and, and you've taken that step of faith. You've declared your faith in Jesus Christ. You've done it publicly through baptism. And you've said you believe in the gospel. Let me tell you something. If you believe, genuinely believe in the gospel of Jesus, it will change how you live the rest of your life. There's no way it can't. When you have inhaled that kind of supreme love, you will naturally exhale that kind of love. And you'll begin to live not for yourself any longer, but for Christ. In fact, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says. says, If you were to go back to 2 Corinthians 5 and and scoot forward a few verses, verses 14 and 15, you're going to see him talk about how the gospel transforms who we are. Listen to these verses. Verse 14 says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. He says, when you really understand the gospel, you no longer live for yourselves. You live for the one who who died for you and was raised for you. Why? Because of what it says back in verse 14. The love of Christ, it says, controls us. That word control in in the original Greek language, it's it's a word that means to press in so as to direct action. Another word would be compel. In fact, if you're reading the NIV, it says Christ's love compels us. In other words, when we really understand the love of Christ, we are compelled to take that love to others, to be controlled by that love, to live for him, not for ourselves. Now, when I think about the love of Christ controlling us and compelling us, there's one name that immediately comes to mind. It's the name Betty Marvin. Now, if you've been a part of our church, then you probably know that name, Betty Marvin. She is a sweet saint who was a part of our church for many years and just a couple months ago went to be with the Lord Jesus But her story is so powerful because this beautiful lady lived to every last moment until death was coming to knock at her door on the mission field, sharing Christ with everybody else she could. It was was so wild to see her story. I got to go up to Seattle, Washington and and be with her in her last days before she was going to come back home and, and deal with some health issues. She had no clue she had stage four cancer at the time. But she was in Seattle, Washington. Now get this, if you don't know her story, she was 81 years old whenever she felt the call by God to go up to Seattle, Washington and to to be a part of our church plant there with Discovery Church. Now there are not many 81-year-olds who are saying, you know what, I think I want to be a part of a church plant team. Most most of them are saying, you know, I think think it's good for me in my retirement to spend time with family, maybe travel the world, do some of the things I'd always wanted to do but not Betty Marvin. If you knew her, that was not how she was going to live her life. In fact, when she was with us, she said one of the, the statements that most, most rung true with me, most impacted me. She said, Jason, I want to tell our church that they should never miss an adventure with God. And that's the way she lived her life. She was not going to miss an adventure with God. And if that adventure took her to Seattle, Washington to share Christ and she was going to do it, even if that meant that's where she was until days before she went to be with King Jesus because that's how she wanted to live. And though there might be friends who counsel her to stay over here and be with her family, she wasn't going to have it. And here's what I can guarantee you. Right now, as she's standing before her king, and as she is spending time with Jesus Christ, she's not regretting it in the least bit. She's not going, well, I wish I would have spent more time with my family, or I wish I would have traveled the world more. Uh. Uh-uh. She's saying, Jesus, I live for you. And he's saying, well done. And she's saying, thank you, Jesus, that I was compelled by your love to live for you. Church, I believe this is what the scripture is telling us. The scripture is telling us that if we genuinely believe in the message of the gospel, it will compel us to live for Christ and tell other people the good news of the gospel. Listen, we don't have to be super saints to make that happen. I'm I'm afraid that's what happens. We think only like the super mature do that. But this is what happens when the love of Christ transforms our hearts. It turns us into people who want to give the gospel to others. And this is why we believe as a church that we're going to be sending people, not, not by the dozens, but by the hundreds, to take the good news of the gospel and to expand the mission of God in the world. In fact, our vision that we have for our church is that by the year 2026, we will have sent 1,400 of our own people to expand the mission of God to the ends of the earth. Now, by God's grace, in the last four and a half years of our vision, we have already sent 47 people. We have commissioned them to go expand the mission of God. And these are people who have been church planners and missionaries all over the world. Praise God for it. But let me tell you something supremely exciting. This morning, we are commissioning 21 people to go to the ends of the earth. In fact, if you missed it at the pre-service, we had Here's a picture right now where you can see the 21 people and their families. That's not including the children who were part of this in the pre service? We had a commissioning moment. Go back and watch that if you didn't get a chance to see it when this service is over, because it's a beautiful moment as we pray over these families that are saying yes to the Lord. But God is raising up. Now, don't, don't